Hey, I'm O'Shea Reset, and this is the Sideline Guys Podcast. Hello, Pacers fans, and welcome into another Sideline Guys Wednesday alongside Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boylan. We are powered by Gainbridge, and we are thrilled to be uh, welcoming on some coaches and some players throughout the season. And we will tip off uh, for the first one this year with the rookie, Chris Duarte. And Chris, I, I think fans are maybe the most eager to hear from you. You're a new player. You've burst onto the scene. How would you describe the first two weeks for you here as an NBA player in regular season games? Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me here first. Uh, I would describe myself, you know, I would describe it, um, you know, enjoying the time here. Uh, it's been two weeks, you know, of learning uh, each and every game uh, on and off the court. Um, uh, you know, sad that, that we not uh, we didn't start the way we wanted it, but you know I'm having fun, and you know uh, it's been it's not it, it's not easy. That those back-to-back games uh, it hit me, you know. <laughs> so it's been it's been good so far. I want to get a little bit later into this, just everything that has led up to you to this moment. But just first and foremost, you're two weeks in, uh, you know, you're averaging 18 points per game. You're starting in the NBA. Um, I don't mean to suggest you're not confident, but is any of this impressing or surprising you a little bit, just how quickly it's all come together for you? Well, uh, that's 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 one of my goals, you know, uh, just, you know, just go out there, out there and perform uh, like I have been performing. So you know, I'm 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 I work hard for that, you know, and, and and like I said before, every time I go out there, I just go out there and play hard and play my game and be confident. I want to start with going back to the first time I met you, and that was at the end of your pre-draft workout, and you did something that uh, I've not seen done before, at least to me. It was yeah. probably 30, 40 minutes after the workout. You came by, and, and the people that were still standing there, now I wasn't a coach or a scout. You maybe didn't know that at the time, but you wanted to shake everyone's hand, introduce yourself. Yeah. And I just I was struck at that moment by how mature you were, and I was thinking, man, the Pacers are a team that kind of is in need of someone like that, that's ready to just come in and, and contribute. How much did you try to almost sell yourself a little bit, and, and what do you remember about that day, that pre-draft well, workout? I remember. I remember. I actually do that everywhere I go. Like, I don't know if you guys see it. Like, right now after practice, you know, I walk out and I say hi to everybody. I think that's that's come from my family. My family told me uh, to do that. You know, that's just being nice. And, and that goes a long way. You know, you never know who's watching you. And, and that's just being nice and, and having manners on you, you know. So that's something that I do everywhere I go. Did that help when you came to the United States? Because then you knew no one and you had to get to know people that, that you didn't know. Definitely, definitely it helps a lot. Uh, especially like, you know, when nobody knew me and uh, I just came up to people and, hey, how you doing? You know, I'm Chris. Nice to meet you. You know, like, good to see you. Stuff like that. Uh, it went a long way. Like, people were like, hey, he's nice. You know, he's he's uh, he got manners, you know, and that goes a lo long way. So they, 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 you know, a lot of people help me because of that. So that's why I do that. Take me back to the Dominican Republic as you're growing up because people who are baseball fans here see just the massive influence the DR has in baseball. Yeah. What was it like as a basketball player growing up there? Well, uh, it, was, it wasn't easy. You know, we didn't have a lot of opportunity. Uh, now we we you know the do the doors are a little bit more open than, than than what it was when I started playing basketball, 
But, you know, train a lot. Uh, I used to get up at 5 o'clock a.m., you know, just to start running and, and do uh, exercises and, and work out before the sun comes out because it's open core. Like, we don't have a ceiling over there. <laughs> we don't have AC on. <laughs> so I used to, we used to get up early like that before the sun comes out and before it get hot. So then, you know, go to school until like 2, 2 p.m. and then come back at 9 and, and, and work out again. So it, it was tough. And I did it for a year and a half. And then, you know, I got the chance to come here and, and participate uh, on a camp. Did you play baseball at all, or were you strictly no, baseball I did, the whole time? I did. I did play baseball until I was 13. What positions pitcher, did you pitcher? Pitcher. Back home, they make you play different positions. Mm -hmm. You know, once you be 15, 16, then they, you know, decide which position you better at. I assume you were a pretty good baseball player, too. What made you make the decision, I want to stick with basketball, I want to try basketball? So, uh, I just got bored of baseball. You know, and my, my brother, he was a basketball player. He was really good. Um, and, you know, I just decided to play basketball, and, and, and basketball is fun to play. So <laughs> that's, that's why I decided to play basketball. I think we've all seen the support that you've had from the Dominican Republic already. I mean, what is that like to have a country behind you watching you as you embark on this journey? <laughs> it is great. It's amazing. Everywhere I go, I got Dominican people, Latino people there supporting me, you know, calling my name out. Uh, it feels good. It feels good when you get a bucket or when you get a nice play, steal, dunk, something like that. They get hyped. You know, it, it, gave, it gave me an extra motivation, an extra push, you know, to keep going. So it's feel good. Let's follow up on that support angle. And I heard the interview you did with JMV a couple of weeks ago, and it was after that first game against Charlotte. And you said initially you didn't think that much about it. You got back to the hotel and you you laid down and you just thought about it. It's like I, I really did that. Yeah. Have you ha had any more of those moments? And is it starting to sink in that I'm an NBA player and I'm starting and I'm I'm doing all these things? How do you keep from getting maybe uh, a big head? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't let. I try not to get too big, you know. I'm trying to stay in the moment. and But sometimes when I'm laying down and I'm at home by myself uh, and I'm on my phone and I see everybody talking about me, especially back home, uh, people are, are, are excited about watching me playing and, and, you know, how well I'm doing. Because uh, I, I know and, and we all know that a lot of people didn't expect that from me so uh you know it's, it's good it's good to see that what is it like as a player because i know when we have a good game a close game maybe a, a good broadcast i'll want to go home and let's see what twitter has to say Let, let's see what fans are saying did, <laughs> did, the, did they like the broadcast did i screw anything up and it must be you for you like times a thousand and it could be either good or bad i suppose like is, do you, is that okay to do for a little bit, but then you have to separate it and put the phone away a little bit? I do that. You know, I do that sometimes. Uh, for a little bit, like you say, I see what I want. I like to see what people think and, and what people say. I don't know why, but I do like to think, I do like to see uh, the comments and, and the videos and stuff like that. I like watching myself too, like the highlights and stuff like that. Uh, but you also got to stay away from that because, you know, um, uh, outside is something and then on the other side of the court is, you know, something different. So 
you can never listen to, to, to what people saying out there. How much are you using film to help you improve on the court, both ends of the court? And, and Rick mentioned on the flight home from Brooklyn yeah. that you two sat together and went over a bunch of plays. Like, is this film study more than you were ever used to do? I'm sure you did it. In no, we stuff. did. We did it at Oregon. We used to do that. We used to do that Oregon a lot. But you know, here it's helping a lot too. You know, film is always important. You know, uh, you get the chance to see yourself, uh, the mistakes, the mistakes you made, uh, the good plays you do. Uh, you get to see and you get to learn from that. So, you know, R Coach Rick helping me out, Coach P, uh, everybody helping me out with film. It, 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 it does help, you know. You talked about hearing what other people say, but you got to be careful to listen too much. Um, and if the if there is something that you just constantly heard through the draft process about yourself was the age, right? 24 mm -hmm. years old, older than, than most players. Do you use that as motivation? I mean, what was it like constantly hearing this? And I'm sure you're thinking, let me show it with my basketball skills. And people wanted to keep talking about how old you were. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I used to get mad when people used to talk about age, age, age. Age, like like people, some people say age is just a number, you know. <laughs> like I used to get mad because if if you're ready, you're ready. It don't matter how old you are. If you're ready and a team need you, they gotta take you, you know. Twenty-four years old is not that old. <laughs> they made <Amen>. me. <laughs> <laughs> they made me feel like you know I was thirty-four, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, man, like I'm only twenty-four. Come on, man. I, at least I got like ten years, you know. You know, that's my goal, 10 years in the league. So I hope I hope I can do that, you know. But, yeah, I used to get mad about the age. And, and uh, you know, I used to go in the pre-draft pre, pre workouts, you know, I used to, to go with that, with that chip in my shoulder and just show people that age don't matter. You know, if you're ready, you're ready. You know, and I used to say that um, if you want to win, you know, take me because I'm going to produce right away. I'm not just going to, you know, get drafted and then you're going to have to send me to the G League because I'm not ready. Like some, a lot of young guys do that. They got to send it to the G League because they're not ready. So that's, that's, that's what I used to think and that's what got me frustrated sometimes because age is just a number. And not only were you ready, but you're starting the very first game of your NBA career, something that hadn't happened to a Pacers player since 2001 Jamal Tinsley so you're going way back since this has happened take me through that moment and sh in Charlotte and what it was like I'm sure to have a dream realized and to be on the floor to start that game about the the what was the question what what was it like for you to step on the floor yeah. for the first time in an NBA game you're starting your very first one that moment had to be really special it was it was special because <laughs> A lot of people didn't expect that, you know. A lot of people didn't know that I was gonna start. I knew it, <laughs> so so it was really special for me and my family and, and my country. Uh, you know, I really took advantage of the opportunity that was given to me, and you know, it, it went well. A couple games later, then you're in a tie game, and and maybe five seconds left, and Coach Carlisle's diagramming a play for you to win the game. That's yeah. in your first week in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> it was good. I remember me telling Justin, hey, Justin, give it to me. I'm going to make it. I'm going to hit the shot. 
I was already saying that's the like ball. Jimmy Chitwood I, stuff I, right there. I was already saying seeing the ball going in before I shot it. Like I was seeing myself coming off the screen, getting to that corner and hitting the shot, and then and then just going crazy and see the crowd going crazy. I told Justin, Justin, hit me, hit me. I'm gonna hit the shot, but unfortunately, it didn't go in. You know. However, that's that good experience. So then the next time, you know. Yeah. You've got one in under your belt a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Next time, got to go in. <laughs> People see you, and this isn't a fair comparison, but just the, it seems like you're someone who wants the ball late in the game that is so confident. I think we saw in the game against maybe it was um, Miami. Miami when you had the like, 25, 28-footer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm not afraid to do that. I'm not afraid to get the ball, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, in, in late game, you know, I'm not afraid to do that. So, I mean, it, you know, when when the shot clock is going down, it's easy, you know, it's easy for me because then you don't think it twice. You know, you got to put up a shot. Somehow, you got to put up a shot. So, I don't think it twice. You know, I see three seconds of shot clock. I just, you know, find a way how to get the shot up, up there and, and make it. So, you know, I, I like it. I like doing that. You look up in the rafters, and there's a, a jersey that hangs for Reggie Miller. So yeah. do you know much about what he was able to do in a Pacers uniform? Yeah, yeah. He's a great legend guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I just advise you, watch some Reggie Miller clips, because we've seen just a few flashes of what you've done, and if you can follow some of that, you'll be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> for the record, I think the NBA had it as a 30-footer, so I didn't oh, want okay. you to short him a, a couple yeah. of feet, <laughs> feet on that shot. Uh, Chris, I think one thing that you hear from your teammates constantly, Malcolm Brogdon's probably talked about it more than anybody, is your receptiveness, how you want to learn, you're eager to learn, you go to players. I noticed at one point in the third quarter um, of the game on Monday night, um, you went to him actually on your way to the huddle and you guys had a conversation. Can you speak to your mindset on what you are trying to learn from players like Malcolm and why that's so important to you? Well, uh, it's, it's important to me because I see it, those guys been there before, you know, they've been in the league for, for a couple of years, you know, five, six, seven years, eight years, whatever. Uh, and they definitely know more than me because <laughs> this is my first year, you know. I know, I, I, you know, I, I got experience, you know, like, because I'm 24 and I've been through a lot. But this is, you know, to be realistic, you know, they've been in the league for six, seven years. So... That's what I try to do. I try to learn as much as I can from those guys, and 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 they do a good job by you know telling me, you know what should I be doing, what should I should not be doing. A couple more for me. I'll let JJ close us out. Then um, you talked about Twitter, and and we have a very uh, good following here on this podcast of those diehard Pacers fans on Twitter. And I happened to have Twitter up last night and there was this debate going because people were trying to find a nickname for you. <laughs> Do you have a nickname? Do you have any thoughts on a nickname? Nah, they call me crazy. That's it. <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember some of did, them. There did, were, did somebody find a nickname for me? CD3, I think, CD. was one. Um, I'm trying to remember the other one. That's, that's my, uh, I have a LLC with that name. CD, with company. With oh, company, yeah. yeah. Okay, with so maybe maybe that's company the one. with a CD3. The most maybe unique one that I saw was the artist, because Duarte. 
<laughs> but that's that's kind of out there but uh, just to let you know it's it's something that that pacers twitter is trying to work on yeah. so we'll see it sounds I like hope, i hope you guys find a good one <laughs> <laughs> final thought for me you mentioned you know 10 years is a goal for you do yeah. you set long-term goals yet or do you have to just be so focused in the moment as a rookie i'm always thinking about the future i know you got to live the present and you got to stay in the moment but I, I like to to set goals for me and myself and, and my family. So, you know, I have a goal to be in the league for 10 years. And once the 10 years goes, you know, hope hope I hope I stay in the league for 10 years. And, and if I can stay for more, then I, I stay, you know. But 10 years, you know, that's I think that's going to be enough. You've been now in Indianapolis for three months probably. I mean, pretty much came after after the draft. Is that, is that right? Yeah. What are your impressions of living in Indiana, and what has the reception been like when you're away from the court and you're getting food or, or out in the community? So the first couple of days, I remember I was going out to get uh, like two miles from here, downtown, and and I was going to get pizza. I was getting free pizza there. Like they, they, they treat me so good here. Uh, I like it everywhere I go. Duarte, you know, they show me love. Uh, Indiana is a great city. Uh, they love basketball. So that that, that tells me that, that they they watching the games, they they watching the news, so they know what's going on. Um, I like Indiana because it's chill. You know, it's, it's not too much going on. I like that, uh, especially when you have a family, you know. Uh, I live in Fishers, and, and Fishers is it's relaxing. like. That's the perfect perfect spot for you to chill, enjoy your time with your family, and you know just laying down, watching TV, doing whatever you want to do. So I like that. You're getting ready to go on a road trip now, so uh, that'll be uh, maybe some team bonding opportunities. Just this month, there's going to be a lot of time on the road. Maybe it'll be difficult being away from your family for the next two or three weeks, but what are you hoping uh, to accomplish as a team over this next difficult stretch of the schedule? Just learn as much as we can, you know, hopefully we can win games, you know, uh, just go out there and play hard, you know, keep building uh, the chemistry on and off the court uh, and just win games, you know, we got to win games, we got to get back on track. Okay, I'll leave it with this, just, it, I feel like the fans are a topic that we always address on this podcast and the fans are who is listening, do you have a message for those fans, the people that maybe... You know, two months ago, they didn't know who you were, and now I see kids saying he's my favorite player already. <laughs> no, I just want to say thank you for the uh, for the love. Thank you for, you know, coming here and showing love uh, to the games. Uh, thank you for uh, sharing. That's how you say uh, You know, uh, just stay tuned. Uh, you know, we're going to keep working hard, uh, trying to come back, get back in track, and, and, and get the crowd uh, into the games and stuff like that. So thank you. Chris, we really appreciate the extended time here and best of luck as your rookie season continues. Thank you, guys. We certainly want to thank Chris for his time. Also, Mike Preston, Chrissy Myers, 
Wes Kaminsky Pacers PR for helping us get these interviews this year. It's been something um, that you know we're very excited to be able to bring to you this year more often, getting to talk with the players and the coaches. And you know, Chris is a rookie. He's 24, so he's a very different type of rookie. But you can still tell a lot of this is is kind of new to him. And I just appreciated um, his willingness to sit down. And English isn't his his first language. You know, I mean, imagine if you or I tried to do an interview in any other language, we would be lost. So you know, he he's got a lot of new experiences that he's going through right now um, but his story's fascinating what he has done so far is so impressive and you know I, I think it was so good to be able to have him here for the first one because I think he's the guy that fans are most interested in hearing from right now it's it's a roster with a lot of continuity and he is the one big change on the floor from previous years every season you initially want to learn more about the new players wearing the uniform and this year was really just the two rookies and Torrey Craig. And then when one of those rookies breaks out in his first game and shows flashes of stardom, and now you know you're you are already seeing rookie rankings and scoring rankings and just you know talking about all rookie teams. And it's way too early to probably do that. Um, it's it's fun to watch this progression and to see him become more comfortable with us, to see him, to hear him become more comfortable with the English language, and then his teammates get to know him. This is probably the biggest attraction I think early in the season, other than just hoping that the Pacers can get a little more healthy, and and we're actually getting some of that now as well. Yeah, I think the health to me is the biggest storyline coming up right now. We can go back and talk about the San Antonio game, but when Malcolm Brogdon went down. Uh, in the Toronto game, I just had this like sinking feeling because you were getting so close to getting Karis LeVert back. In fact, we thought there was an outside chance uh, perhaps that he could even play in that Toronto game. Turns out he would play a few nights later. And then Brogdon goes down and it just felt like, you know, same CD, different track, whatever you want to call it. Here we go again, Groundhog Day. And it's been really good to see that Malcolm who we just talked with after practice, actually said he didn't have um, what they originally maybe thought he had, which was a, a hamstring strain. He said it was maybe a strain of the um, of the fascia. So bottom line, better than they had originally guessed. And I think we're just – we've become unfortunately so programmed to injury news being doom and gloom that while those guys going down was definitely frustrating – if you would have told me the prognosis on both of them, which we don't totally know on Isaiah Jackson, but by the way, he was out uh, walking out of practice today without anything on either of his legs. Um, and, and Malcolm said, I'm going to play here on Wednesday. You're getting really close to the closest version of healthy you're going to be right now, understanding TJ Warren. Stop. Go ahead. There you go. I knew that was coming <laughs> in. Every time, I, I think I remember. I set us year. up on a wood table just so we, exactly. could, we could do that well, a lot. <laughs> Last year, there was one game I, in particular, I, and the injury report was blank. And I wanted to do research and say, when was the last time this happened? Now, you know, this season, it will be a long time until that happens. Um, but then I did the report, and then the next quarter, there was an injury. So anytime you bring up things like this, it's always hold your breath a little bit. But I think this team is due for a little bit of good fortune. And um, it's back to the excitement and optimism, just thinking to me about, Let's just say potential lineup of Duarte, Lavert, and Brogdon. I mean, that's that's really exciting, and that's what this team needs—a little bit of juice. And we saw that jolt of energy provided by just Lavert on the court for four quarters on Monday. And I just I look forward to seeing 
I feel better about the upcoming road trip if those if Levert and Brogdon can can both be on the court for normal minutes. I don't think anyone needs to be 40 minutes like it was this first couple of weeks, but let's just say they can both play in the 28 to 32 and you can have more balance. Um, then I then I, I feel a lot better about the upcoming road trip and really this month of November in general. I know I've made the point on the podcast before, so I don't want to keep belaboring it, but if you can get a starting five out there that has Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert and Chris Duarte and Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis, that's pretty good, uh, especially if Chris Duarte is going to be close to the 18-point-per-game guy that we've seen so far. He's going to have pitfalls. It's his rookie season. He's going to have some positive moments, uh, some negative moments, but the thing is he just he has such a consistent style of game that it would just be hard for me to imagine – this not being about what he is. Maybe as other guys get healthy, he gets less shots. That's That would be, I, I think, normal. And to be fair, we don't exactly know, uh, assuming they knock on wood, get everybody healthy here, exactly how Rick's going to do the lineup. I, I think there's still an outside chance, perhaps, that he could say, we want to have Justin Holiday starting because Justin's not somebody who needs to be on the ball quite as much, and we can let Chris you know, <clears throat> be on it a lot more with the second unit and mix and match. So it's not a set it's not a set fact that that's going to be the lineup. And and by the way, we should note that Jeremy Lamb was doubtful for the last game, and um, I, I don't believe we necessarily know uh, his status in the immediate future. But all of a sudden, what that does to your second unit, you know, you get Justin with the second unit as long as Jeremy's injury is not long-term. You get him with the second unit, all of a sudden all this starts to fit into place. You don't have T.J. Warren, but, like, if you're starting five, if the – you know, worst player on it, if you will, you almost laugh saying that, is Chris Duarte. All of a sudden, you've got pretty close to this group that you've wanted to see for so long. And Brogdon does come back, uh, like he said he would, here on Wednesday. Hopefully you get the first opportunity at that. Hopefully it stays together. But when you consider where things were after the Saturday game, which, by the way, I always harp this positively or negatively. I know I did when the Pacers started 3-0 and last year. I know I've done it here when you start 1-6. and Like, you're eight games into the season, which means you have 74 games left. How many games did you play last year? 72. So you've still got more games left this year than you played all the last season. That's how early it is. Um, that said, you don't want to start 1-6. and If you look at the last two days' worth, you handle San Antonio, a dominant win, your most complete win, um, you know, dating back to the Charlotte game if you count that, but your most re- complete regular season win, maybe back to that Oklahoma City game of last year. So in quite some time, and you get some positive injury news, and all of a sudden it feels like the momentum's starting to turn here. The recipe for success for the Pacers, I've mentioned a few times in the past about seeing maybe three 20-point per scorers on a night, yeah, having a big three, but I think maybe – having five or six, six or seven in double figures is the best because it keeps everyone involved and engaged on both ends of the floor. And to see at halftime five in double figures and to finish that game with six, and no one was you know, attempting 25 field goal attempts. I think it, it was just one of those team performances where after the game, you're always going to have a player who says, no matter how good the team performance is, ah, I wish I could have done better. I'm, I'm not sure really if you look at that game. Is there anybody who you could say – had a below average night or even average. I mean, I think everyone played above average. I will say all the starters, uh, TJ McConnell hit double figures and probably had his best game of the season. Keelan Martin was very effective off the bench. Um, I, I just think it was one of those nights where everybody contributed and that's what you need. And that can give you some positive momentum moving forward. The Knicks are going to be very challenging. They are better. Um, I think they've had some carryover from last year. They've got, 
some additions that that are helpful. Their offense is clicking at a at a point where I I envision them and think of them as a defensive minded team, but I'm amazed at how well they're playing offensively. So this will be a tough matchup. Uh, you'll have to play well again, but if you play like you did Monday, you should beat most teams. It's going to be hard to get the complete effort that you played like Monday, but also that was a you know a blowout game. You you win it by 13. You were up by 25 uh, the last three minutes or so when there were other players in the game. San Antonio started to go on a run. So yeah, this is the blueprint. You're not going to reach that level of success every single game, but if you can get 80% of that, the Pacers, I think, are going to really like where they stand. I asked Rick Carlisle about that. I said, look, you've had some really big performances already this season. Uh, Miles had a big night. Sabonis has had a few. Brogdon's had one. But to you, the way this team is built is this kind of the blueprint. And he, he totally agreed with that. He said, yes, the way we are built, we're not going to have one guy go off and have a ton of success that way, night in and night out. This has to be how we do it. And you look at how they did it. Well, uh, first of all, you got uh, 24 points from Sabonis, 24, 13, and 6. So that's like the prototypical DeMontis Sabonis night and, and maybe even a touch above it. But you got 19 points, 8 rebounds, 3 blocks, a couple steals from Turner. It's going to be tough for those two to put up, you know, a combined, I think, at least 43 a game. Like, that's going to be hard to do night in and night out just because they play similar positions. But I still think – you hope for more nights like that from the bigs. And then, you know, you have Duarte, who who finishes with 18. Levert looks strong with 16. Holiday has a big performance off the bench. And as you said, uh, nobody played a game where you go, that guy probably is in the locker room saying, I wish we had played better, or I wish I had played better despite the results. So I absolutely think that's the blueprint. I've been really interested. And, and again, maybe this is just eight games in weirdness, but – it's been so interesting to me how, look at game one, game two, uh, this past game. So three of the eight have been really high scoring up and down. Nobody's stopping each other. The Pacers obviously were stopping uh, the Spurs enough, but they still had 118. The Pacers just put up a, a, a monstrous first half, monstrous first quarter, totally ran away from San Antonio. But you've also had a couple games here in the early portion of the season where you were in the 90s at the end of regulation. You were actually, one team was in the 80s at the end of regulation. So I'm still kind of trying to figure out the identity of this team. I, I, I think it's obviously somewhere in the middle, right? Like, like the Pacers probably aren't scoring 130 a night. You're probably in today's end not playing 97 94 type of games but I have been interested you know I've kind of been interested because early on it was wow is it going to take some time for the defense to find its footing but we've had a couple of games where the defense has looked excellent and maybe the offense hasn't been there this clearly the most complete performance of the year but I guess I'm still tr trying to figure out like where exactly this team falls in all of that it's a good point and it's something I have asked a couple of different people over the last week of what is the preferred pace of this team? And I think you get a different answer depending upon who you ask. I asked TJ McConnell, and of course what he's <laughs> going to say is we want to push the pace, we want to be a fast-paced team. But I think what we've seen is they can play any kind of game, and they are capable of playing significantly better defensively than they ever were, I think, last season. Now, they aren't all the way there yet, and there are still guys trying to figure things out, and a guy like Chris Duarte... I'm noticing still has to sort of sometimes be reminded of switches and just different assignments, and that's something that will continue to come, and it'll help to have a backcourt of Brogdon and Lavert and, and to be able to help a guy like Chris uh, Duarte. But 
Um, it, it's a good question, and I I think that uh, Rick Carlisle told me early in the season that it used to be that defenses were ahead of offenses, but now in guys are so skilled offensively, it probably is a little bit the other way around. And the scoring, sometimes that is league-wide, I think, down a little because of the fouls and the free-throw attempts. Maybe there are less of those, and the, you know, the fouls are the overt, exaggerated moves are now not being called fouls now. So I hate to even make too much of that because I think so much was made about James Harden right before the Pacers played the Nets. And then the next game, not that he got those fouls, but he definitely got uh, way more trips to the free throw line than he had had up to that point uh, in the season. So it's still kind of early to make declarations of, of who this team is or what it wants to be. I don't think they want to be playing 130 to 125 on an average night. Um, you'd like the 130, but you don't want to give up 125, right? And you're never going to be uh, – rarely are you going to be so elite offensively and then locking down and, uh, and only allowing in a, the amount of points that would be in a, in a slow-paced game. So long-winded way of saying they can play either way, but I, I think that for them to be comfortable, I kind of I – would, I would basically lean towards faster than slow. Because when I see them play slow, a lot of times, then what I see is some of these end of shot clock threes, not good offense. And so I, I really think that they're at their best when the ball's moving around the perimeter, but maybe 14 to 12 to 10 on the shot clock. That's when they're shooting. And that would that turns into a faster pace game. They're not going to be like last year at all, where they get a bunch of steals, they get a bunch of layups. The fast break points are just not going to be there because they have a different emphasis. Right now, they're not wanting to gamble as much. They're not trapping like they were last season. They want to be solid defensively and take advantage of the opportunities to run, but probably just won't have as many of those in any game. I know that those listening to us regularly understand that we are Pacers employees and this is a Pacers branded podcast. And if anything, uh, you know, we tend to stray to the optimism side of things. Look, I understand the team is two and six um, and, you know, we don't want to sit here and act like that necessarily is where they want to be. But there's one there's one statistic that I'm just struggling to shake. And again, a lot of this could be small sample size. Um, you know, weirdness of the beginning of the season. <clears throat> the Pacers have outshot their opponent. And when I say outshot, I say, I mean, a better field goal percentage than their opponent in six of the eight games. Uh, last year, when they outshot their opponent, they won 85% of their games. Over the last two years combined, they, went over, they won over 80% of their games when they've outshot their opponent. So what does that tell you? Well, it tells you a couple things. First of all, it could tell you, especially if you are on that optimist side, um, that in the run of play, the Pacers are playing well enough uh, of a team that would be more like six and two or five and three. Like if 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 you take those numbers of how often the Pacers typically win when they outshoot their opponent, and they've done it six times, you'd say, okay, well you'd be five and one in those games where you outshoot your opponent, and then uh, maybe zero oh and two in the two you haven't, maybe you snatch one there. So. You could make the case that based on that, in the run of play, the Pacers have been a 5-3, and 6-2 and two team, except there's been something else holding them back. And it's probably, first and foremost, the points off of the turnover, which have really killed the Pacers. <clears throat> and I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm going to eat these words. Maybe I'm going to be wrong. I just the, – the Pacers have been – I haven't checked the numbers after the last game where they certainly were better. Um, but they were the worst team in the league as it related to differential and points off the turnover – 
and you're right. It's not going to be what it was last year because there are different emphasis, uh, different emphases on these. But I, I just find it hard to believe that the Pacers are going to be a horrible off the turnover team when they were good at it last year. Like these are the same guys. Rick is emphasizing different things. They'll be hopefully better on rebounding, for example, which the Pacers have been a lot better on the glass this year compared to last year. But if you outshoot your opponent somewhat regularly. Over the course of 82 games, you're going to win a vast majority of those. And so I would say, like, if there's one thing that has my optimism through eight games, despite an understanding that two and six is not where you want to be, it would be that um, the Pacers, again, are, are two and four in these games. I guarantee you, over the next 10 games where they outshoot their opponent, they will be better than that winning percentage. But I do also think it emphasizes that they've got to get the points off the turnover thing and maybe the third quarters and some of the droughts figured out because, unfortunately, it's cost them a couple of games where you can make the case that otherwise, um, you know, they've been the better team. And what is the old adage when you're looking at an NCAA tournament or filling out a bracket and you're saying it's all about the matchups? Maybe the matchups... And this isn't to give too much credit to the Toronto Raptors, but maybe right now they're a tough matchup for the Pacers because we've seen them be able to force a lot of those turnovers, and maybe that skews the stats just a little bit, um, making it even worse than it really is. And and it doesn't make me anticipate <laughs> that day after Thanksgiving game. But I, in in some small way, I actually I want to see Toronto again, and I want another shot at them, and I hope the Pacers have that same perspective because while I think Toronto is playing you know, very well to start the season. I, I think they've got a good game plan and strategy. Um, I think there are ways you can beat that kind of defense in the way they, the way they play. So I look forward to seeing the Pacers try that again. But to your point, looking ahead to, you know, the Knicks, we know they're a really good defensive team, but let's say Portland and let's say Sacramento. Okay. Maybe that's not their strength. And maybe it even gives you more optimism for starting that road trip with some success as well. So uh, maybe as you look at an opponent, then you need even more of an emphasis on what are we going to do to take care of the basketball? What if teams start doing what Toronto did to DeMontis Sabonis? How do you combat that? And it'll help a lot more to have both Karis LeVert and Malcolm Brogdon on the court because I don't think teams can swarm him quite as much. And to have let, – let's go, let's go into this topic just briefly. The way Miles Turner started that game – opened, I think, things up for a lot of different people. He was 5-for-5 five five against the Spurs in the first quarter, and correct me if I'm wrong, the Pacers had their best scoring quarter of the season, and Sabonis had zero. Yeah, I correct. I guess I hadn't fully put those two he, things and together. And then but... he had 24 and 12 for the game. Right. So it's not like he had zero, and then he said, oh, wait, i got to make sure I get my points. But it shows how teams make adjustments, maybe – and I don't know specifically what Greg Popovich's game plan was and if he was trying to take Sabonis out early, but when those shots start falling, then you have to, to go back and play a little more balanced defensively, and then they had no one inside that could guard Sabonis, and, and Miles Turner going 5-for-5 five five in that first quarter also made things complicated. So, you know, it's like when I interviewed Lloyd Pierce at halftime and I kind of asked that question about, is this the perfect, you know, ideal Indiana offense? And I said, well, yeah, sure, you know, it helps when you, you know, hit 12 threes and shoot 60-some percent. You're you're not always going to be ever, you know, that good. But I think the balance is the really big takeaway that I have. And it, if you go into a game, you know, let's just go back to, to last Saturday night and last Wednesday in Toronto. So much pressure was probably on Sabonis and then maybe to some extent um, Duarte even over the weekend when you didn't have Brogdon. Um, 
just having those extra options, as Car- Coach Carlisle has said, you know, about Levert, he, he's one of our best players. It helps to have your best players available. So no excuses, but there is an explanation for maybe the start, and there is reason for optimism, even on an overly optimistic <laughs> Sideline Guys podcast. Yeah, I think what you've seen in the last two days, hopefully, is going to be the start of the momentum turn. I think we've discussed this on the initial schedule podcast. We discussed this last week. Um, it might have even been in the areas uh, for concern category. The schedule coming up is still pretty difficult, especially when you look at it from a home and road perspective. So you got a game coming up against the Knicks. And and I'm never going to sit here in early November and say, you know, this is a must win or even a, a massive game because I, I don't think it's that. But you there is something to, even when your schedule has this many road games to start, even when it's as fairly challenging as it is to start, you just can't dig yourself into too big of a hole. And you've got the Knicks coming up on Wednesday, which they're a physical team. They're going to make life difficult for you, very likely. Um, you, know, you know, maybe maybe not as talented as where they finished last year. I'll be fascinated to see uh, what the Knicks are this year because I think they overachieved perhaps more than anybody last year, and I give them a ton of credit for that. But, you know, does this all even out uh, at some point for New York, or is their tough style going to continue, um, you know, to make life difficult? And is, is Randall going to continue to – look like a like an all-star and and they've got some young guys that are coming together nicely then you have four on the road you come back for one home game against Philadelphia Philadelphia and then you go back on the road for three and then you come back for one home game against New Orleans and then you go back on the road you can speak to this as well as anybody when you have a long road trip and then one game at home and then you go back on the road don't get me wrong. You get the home court advantage. I'm not saying it's a road game, but it feels like another stop on a long trip. So the Pacers are going to have, starting Friday the 5th, all the way through uh, what will be until the 25th. So you'll go three weeks where it doesn't feel like you are at home. Now, that all evens out. Um, you're going to then, I, I think, have 10 of the next 12 at home. So if they're in a little bit of a hole – that 10 out of 12 stretch, I think, will be really important to start, you know, making some headway. But still, um, you're two and six and embarking on one of your more challenging stretches of the schedule all season. And this feels like uh, a pretty important time, albeit still in early November. In all reality, the the goal would just be to tread water over the next couple of weeks, right? I mean. You don't want to shoot for 500, but that's kind of where they're at right now, especially considering that they are staring at that that two and six. Uh, the Blazers, the Kings, though, you, you got to get one of those, and then you get you know the Pacers have had good games against Denver and Utah, not always in the same year, but at least one of those. So um, your point is a valid one about the, those home games feeling like road games. So it's going to be very difficult. I challenge the fans that are able to get into, you know, let's say this Knicks game or then that 76ers game on the 13th or then even those games. I mean, this is the crazy thing is that when you have the start of this stretch of a lot of these home games and it's Thanksgiving week, <laughs> I mean, it's the Pelicans. Well, you know, maybe you don't – who knows about – um, Zion and they're not playing well right now. You go play at Chicago, one of the hottest teams in the league, and then your home games is Lakers, Raptors, Bucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's just, whew. Uh, and and they knew it going into the season. It, everyone acknowledged it and accepted it. And it, in April, you you can't complain about it because as 
many have off, have said you play you know 41 41 blah 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 blah, blah. but uh you just got to try to keep in this thing and, and get as close to healthy and i did like the fact that as i interviewed karis lavert on the court after the game last night my last question was you know about this brogdon lavert combo come uh, topic can we get you both healthy for a while and see what what can happen with this team and he didn't really hesitate and said, and he says, I think TJ Warren as well. He's working hard. You know, he hasn't really done anything. And I've kind of put him out of my mind. And I've had yeah. some fans ask me. And it's really, there's no news. So there's really nothing to say. But the fact that, you know, Karis LeVert had him top of mind was at least positive to me as well. And he would be the final piece to the puzzle, at least from a perspective of players that are going to be able to come back this season. And certainly you want to be closing the season as strong as you can be. This isn't, you know, the two and you six gotta be in position. <laughs> start. But yes, you can't dig yourself too deep of a hole uh, to get in there. But if you can stay healthy, which I know we've been saying on this podcast for years now, and unfortunately the last couple of years it hasn't happened, if you can stay healthy, um, getting that Warren boost back could be massive. Um, and if this group, as it is, can stay relatively healthy, I have a ton of confidence um, in in the minus TJ Warren version of this group, as long as they're not missing too many more players. But yeah, I mean, you're going to have a, a huge road stretch coming up that Denver, Utah end of it is going to be really difficult too. So, it, you know, you can make the case, the Portland, the Sacramento games are, are maybe a bit more important because if you don't get those, then you're really on an uphill battle at the end of the road trip. Uh, but we will see your point also is very good. Look, I, I know sometimes people are maybe out of the habit. COVID kind of knocked you out of your habit, but, um, if you can make it to Pacers games, I mean, the home court advantage here is so important to this group. It's not a coincidence that the first time in 32 years that the Pacers did not have a winning home record was when there were very few fans in the stands. So if you are able to make it, um, we would love to have you here. Maybe we'll start you know, doing some giveaways on, the, on, on our end, too, for some tickets. But um, if you can make it, Pacers.com slash tickets. There's only a few home games coming up in the next couple of weeks. So you, know, you can pick your opportunities, either Wednesday versus the Knicks, uh, the 13th of November against Philadelphia, Philadelphia, the 20th against New Orleans. The good news is, you know, those games are on Saturdays, so maybe easier games to make. Um, you know, this this team definitely, um, you know, has has a major advantage playing in front of you, and I think we saw um, that home crowd and, and what it meant last year. So, um, I don't know. That's, I think, a final thoughts um, from you if you have any, but I think hopefully we'll continue to get this rotation of some players and some coaches in and um, you know, I hope it makes the podcast more enjoyable to everybody listening. And I hope we start a new tradition this season of having positive Tuesday, Wednesday chats. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought about that too. You know, we're watching the game last night and I'm like, wow, this is different. We're going to have a podcast after a win. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to go back and look at last year's Monday, Tuesday record, but it felt like those were the, the two good. worst days of the week. And <laughs> it always let the podcast have a little cloud over it. And you know, to be honest, last season felt that way. I just enjoyed personally being able to watch some games with my own eyes and feel the energy of the building and, and offer some insight during some sideline reports that's not strictly, you know, based off of a Zoom interview. So uh, we hope you're enjoying uh, the coverage. We've, you know, had some technical challenges, I think, at, at different times to try to um, work through some things. But uh, we hope you're enjoying them. And, you know, I think there's only been, and this is the thing that I think is unfortunate, the Pacers record after they lost that game to the Raptors at Toronto, followed by the, the rough weekend, 
was such that people were throwing in the towel and they had that game in their mind at Toronto and for what for whatever reason I do think Wednesday night is a is a night that if the Pacers are playing maybe we get a little bit better ratings that night there's less competition and I think a lot of people tuned into that Toronto game and they were really frustrated and they wanted to just you know this team does isn't good enough it's not going to work you know you're watching that game and you see Malcolm Brogdon limp off the court and then you see Isaiah Jackson go down and to be perfectly honest from start to finish the effort was you know it was the worst game of the season now every team if you look up and down the standings even the ones that are playing really well they've got that clunker game what I ask you if you're listening is I'm not making an excuse for you know it wasn't lack of effort, but it just wasn't the top effort that you need to compete in the NBA. I mean, guys were trying, but you can see the different level that they had against San Antonio. I would say even the, the effort they played with at home against Toronto, um, they just, as Rick Carlisle said, we played hard, we didn't play well. That's what happened that night, that Saturday night against the Raptors. But that get that Wednesday one out of your mind and then just continue to watch over the next week or two and see what this team can accomplish and really think about to me, I'm excited about this starting lineup. I mean, T.J. Warren coming back whenever will be awesome. But if we can see, and we haven't officially been you know, notified of who the starters were, we might not even see that until Wednesday night. But just a rotation that I envision watching is Karis LeVert, Malcolm Brogdon, and Chris Duarte along with DeMontis Savonis and Miles Turner. It it doesn't quite roll off the tongue yet because I haven't had a chance (laughs) to see those five together. But I I just love the options that are available. And so let's see what this group can do and that group specifically can do over the next couple weeks. And I think most importantly, you get a lineup out there and you can't focus on anybody. You want to try to take DeMontis Savonis out of the game. You have Malcolm Brogdon, a 20-point-per-game score. Karis LeVert, a 20-point-per-game score. Chris Duarte, who's been excellent in the early portion of his season. Uh you have all those guys out there who can help you. And that's the difference to me when you have this group and when you don't. You can maybe focus on guys like Sabonis a lot more when you don't have some of those other guys on the floor. And I want to make one additional thought because I did, I'm not trying to slight anyone if I mention that as like, you know, can't wait to see these five together. But Justin Holiday has looked really good the last couple of games. Maybe the percentage on Saturday night wasn't as good, but I think he is coming back in, into full health. He had that sprained ankle in the preseason, and maybe you know he tweaked it a couple of different times in that first week. But his best role is probably you know sixth man, seventh man, yeah. maybe a guy that doesn't start, but maybe he's on the court to finish games because of his versatility, because of what he brings you defensively and how he can knock down shots. And so everything else falls into place when you get one or two guys back that had been injured. And so uh, – I didn't mean I'm not sliding Justin Holiday at all, but you know having him as part of that second unit with with T.J. McConnell um, can really help as well. And I was I was really impressed by the way Keelan Martin played in his first game on Monday night as well. So um, yeah, this is you're catching the sideline guys at a high point right now. Let's hope we can continue this way <laughs> and also really uh, appreciate as you mentioned to start the second half of this podcast. Appreciate Pacers PR and also Chris Duarte. I love watching a rookie come into the NBA and enjoy every aspect of it. And I can tell he's soaking up this entire experience. And I love the fact that it's so rare. A rookie is making such an impact and the fans are just gravitating to him. And I will tell you, if you're doing that, uh, you, you picked a good one because it's, it's early and we're just getting to know him as well, but it, he, he seems like he gets it and he, he, not to say he's different, but he, 
everything that you factor into his background and his experience, it, it leads him to be the person that he is. And if you see him and you say hi and – COVID is not a thing. I mean, he'll shake your hand and probably give you a hug, and he doesn't even know who you are, right? Yeah. Hey, that, that got him free pizza, I think. Exactly. <laughs> if nothing else, I think that was the story he was telling. He, he got in there and was so nice to everybody that uh, they gave him some free pizza. So, yep, show him some love if you have to see if you happen to see him around Fishers or downtown Indianapolis. But, no, he, he seems like a, you know, you're so used to calling rookies kids. I don't know when the kid moniker goes away, but he's 24. He's uh, I don't know. When I was 24, I didn't really think of myself as a kid, so – He's a good young man. Exactly. (laughs) But he is right in saying 24 is not old. It's not old. Yes, very much not old. For JJ, I'm Pat. This is the Sideline Guys, powered by Gainbridge. We'll talk to you next Wednesday.